Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Brother John. Many of you uh, may not know that Brother John led worship uh, this morning for us uh, at 9.30 and 11 o'clock for the very first time, I believe. That's right, while Philip's on vacation. And uh, after being blessed by Brother Gary leading worship at 8.15 and hearing Brother Mark preach, who did a wonderful job, I got to come over and be a part of it again. In other words, I got three doses of it. I'm going to be honest with you. And, uh, you know, my granddaddy used to say this. He'd say, if a little will do you good, a lot will do you a lot better. Amen? And so I'm sure that it did. Well, you know, tonight we're going to begin a new series this summer. And this series is going to be talking about the biblical view on issues of life. What does the Bible say about different issues of life? And I'm going to kick that off tonight and each Sunday night with our pastors being back and our different pastors that we have here. We're going to be talking about issues that affect your life and my life, that affect your family and my family. And so tonight I'm going to kick that off and it's a little different. My wife looked at me and she said, you never preach topical sermons. Uh, matter of fact, she said, you're always expository and I'm going to be expository preaching tonight as well, but it's just going to be on a certain topic. Because I'm not a very, uh, often do I preach topically. I preach book by book, verse by verse. And that's, uh, many of you know, that's the way I've been preaching here for, 20, uh, for 12 years. I've been preaching that way for almost 33 years now. And so it's difficult, difficult when, for me when I say, well, this is a topic I'm going to preach on if I choose just a topic. Then it's just a lecture. But when you go to the Word of God and you preach from the Word of God, it has power and it has impact. Amen. But uh, tonight, uh, I just want to ask you a question, and I want to make a statement in this question, in this statement. Would you agree that every person, everywhere, is under the influence of someone or something? For example, tonight, sitting in this place tonight, you are under the influence of someone or something here tonight. I'll even make a greater statement, even in the United States, every person is under the influence of someone or something, regardless of who they are. And having said that, let me ask you, you heard about the old redneck cowboy who had been in the bar having too much to drink, didn't you? He came out of the bar and he got in his pickup truck. He almost didn't get in because it was so high off the ground. But he got in his truck and because he had had one too many, driving down the road, the policeman that saw him knew that he was in trouble. Especially when the man turned and went down a one-way road, the opposite way that he should be going. Finally, the police officer pulled him over, got him over to the side. The man got out of the truck and was staggering around. And he asked the man, he said, man, what do you think you're doing? Here you are. You almost got killed and killed somebody. You drove down a one-way road and you went the wrong direction. He said, didn't you see the arrows? He said, man, see the arrows? I didn't even see the Indians. I just want you to know (laughs) that people can be under the influence of many things. For example, uh, you may be under the influence of your cell phone. You may be. I mean, I want you to know we're all probably under the influence of our cell phone. Let me give you some ways that you can know if you're under the influence of your cell phone. Let me read these to you. This, this came from our staff historical writer, our columnist who is better than Louis Grizzard, to say the least. I'll be honest with you. These came from Abe Brown. I'm going to go ahead and give you credit where credit is due. You might be under the influence of your cell phone. You can know that there's a good chance that you are if you sleep closer to your cell phone than you do your spouse. As you are riding down the road, your cell phone rings, and it is in your pocket or your pocketbook, you immediately go into spasmodic mode and nearly crash trying to get to your phone. You're under the influence. Siri is considered a real person. If that's your case, you're under the influence. 
you excuse yourself from the dinner table to go answer or go get your cell phone in between bites or conversation with your family. Number five, your favorite phrase is, excuse me, but I need to answer this call. Your cell phone looks like it was in a war zone because of the way it's been treated. Uh, you worry more about your cell phone bill than you do your mortgage, and the payments are about the same monthly. When you mistake your cell phone, you have to take a volume before you go look for it just in case you lost it for good. Let me give you another one. When your child does not answer you immediately, think, you think they've been in an earthquake, a tsunami, a tornado, or they've been abductive. Here's the last one I'm going to read. You glance at your cell phone more than five times daily for no reason, like it is alive and going to escape. Those may be some indications that you are absolutely under the influence of your cell phone. You say, David, why are you speaking of influence? Well, tonight I want to speak to you on this subject. Is it wise for a believer? Is it wise for a believer? And here's the reason why. Is it wise for a believer to consume alcoholic beverage? I want you to know there's never been more time in my life that I believe this message needs to be preached to the body of Christ, the church, than it does right now. Just for the record, I want you to know that I am a teetotaler. I do not drink. I do not drink sociably. I don't drink in a closet. I don't have it in my house, and I'm not going to purchase it, and I'm not going to consume it if you were to give it to me. Not only do I want you to know that I'm a teetotaler, I want you to know my wife is as well. And I want you to understand that I'm a teetotaler because I believe the Bible gives good reasons biblically why you ought not to drink. I believe the Bible gives good reasons as a believer why you ought not to drink because of your testimony. And I believe you ought not to drink as a believer because of the trouble that comes within the bottle. And I've said enough right there that we could end it right there and be done with it. But I'm going to preach a message tonight, and I've got so many statistics I'm going to give you. If you want to see them, come up to me afterwards, and I'll give them to you. But I really believe that this t message is timely, more timely than ever, because of the way believers see drinking as socially as not a non-issue. I can remember a day that when I would not have to preach this message. Matter of fact, I went back and looked, Miss Sue, the last time I preached a message on the consumption of beverage alcohol was 1990. You do the math. 28 years ago when I preached a message concerning this. That age group I was preaching to then were college-age young adults. 30 years ago, you wouldn't have to preach this message to a group of believers on a Sunday night or a Sunday morning. You surely wouldn't have to preach it to a group of Sunday school teachers or deacons or those in leadership. But I'm telling you, today more than ever, this message needs to be preached. And so when I say this, is it wise for a believer? I want you to take your Bible, and I want you to turn with me, if you will, to Proverbs chapter 20, and I want us to read verse 1. I want you to hold your Bible, and we're going to look at some other passages of scriptures tonight. So here's the title. Don't you miss this. Is it wise for a believer? Now watch this. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, there's going to be some wisdom here why you should not partake uh, and consume a beverage alcohol. But if you're a believer, this is particularly for you. So let me read this one verse of Scripture, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. And if you're able to stand, would you join me as we stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God? Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler, 
and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Father, tonight I pray that wisdom would come from your throne directly to our hearts. Father, it would be echoed with a great amen from your Holy Spirit as we consume the passage that you've just given us. And Father, I mean consume it down into our hearts where it sinks deep. It transforms our lives. Father, as believers in Jesus Christ, may we be wise when it comes to consuming alcoholic beverages. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Since July the 29th, 1984, the day I was saved, my heart's desire has been to follow Christ. This does not mean that I've lived a perfect life. I have failed in many ways. I have also wanted to be an example to others so that they may see Christ Jesus in me. I've asked Donna that when I die, does she think my sons will say these things? And I ask her this often. I wonder if my sons will say, he was a godly daddy. He loved my mom with all his heart. And he loved us as his children far greater than you can imagine. And the last thing I ask her about is simply this. Was, will they say, my children say, my dad cared about the souls of others? Could they say that? You say, David, if that was the epitaph on your grave, would you be pleased? Absolutely. Because since I've been saved, this has been my desire. It has been my passion for over 30 years to lead people to Christ. Also, my passion has been to equip believers to lead others to Christ. Having said this, my life is an example by what I say and by what I do. One of my great fears is that I would lead someone away from Christ and not to Him. It is my conviction that I should live a life that I would not be a stumbling block to others. Therefore, I believe my walk, my witness, my words, and my work should be a direct, direct reflection of the call that God has put on my life and for my life to be an example to you as others. The title of tonight's message, Is It Wise for a Believer to Consume Alcoholic Beverage, is going to center on the subject of what it says of drinking this alcoholic beverage. I realize there's a great deal of controversy surrounding this subject, especially when used responsibly, especially when alcohol is used recreationally, especially if it's used in moderation. Tonight, I'm grateful that we have teenagers here. I'm grateful that we have mom and dads here. I'm grateful that you're here because when you think about this subject, is it a controversy? In 2006, in the Southern Baptist Convention, after a 45-minute debate, I want to remind you it took 45 minutes for the Southern Baptists in 2006, which they're about to meet next week, to come to the conclusion that the stand for Southern Baptists was going to be total abstinence from, the, from alcohol. Folks, I want to tell you something. There never should have been a 45-minute debate. The Word of God is clear enough. And for leaders to come together and say, we want to debate the issue, I want to be honest with you, I don't understand it whatsoever. But anyway, in 1990 was the last time I preached on this subject. But today, more than ever, the believer should be wise when it comes to drinking alcoholic beverage. I will argue drinking alcohol is a beverage. However, I know there are those who will disagree with me. They may feel they have a scripture to support their moderate drinking. Neither I nor does any other Christian have the right to look down in a judgmental manner towards someone who is struggling to be free. I hope you get that. In other words, I'm not coming here to judge you. The Word of God is good enough. I want you to know, I know some believers 
uh, believe Scripture does not condemn this practice or their practice from consuming alcoholic beverage. But I also know, as a matter of fact, the Scripture speaks strongly about pride and selfishness as well. He says, so David, what are you trying to say tonight? You hang on. I believe you're going to get the picture. So tonight I want to turn to Proverbs 20, 21 and speak on this subject. Is it wise for a believer to drink alcoholic beverages? First off, I want you to notice in this passage of Scripture that we've just read, point number one, the deceptive mockery of beverage alcohol. The deceptive mockery of beverage alcohol. Notice what it says in verse 1 again. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. What a mockery the bottle brings. It promises so much, but it provides so little. For example, if you look at commercials today, particularly those that are advertising beer commercials, what you'll, it tells a young man is simply this. If you want to get a girl, you need to have a bottle in your hand. And what it tells young ladies, if you want to get a guy and you want to be a babe that he wants you to have, then get a bottle in your hand. I'm telling you, alcohol promises so much, but it provides so little. It shows the commercials that you see. It's a cool thing to do, but it doesn't show you the crashes of cars and lives that have been taken as a result of beverage alcohol. And so we understand that it promises so much. It's deceptive. It deceives. It does not produce what it says it will do. Every television show has it there today. I saw a commercial the other day. I told Donna it was two women at a bar, and they were drinking hard liquor. No men were around. I said, five years ago, you wouldn't have seen that commercial on that show. It wouldn't have been there. Folks, I'm here to tell you, you can't turn around anywhere you go. There's the, uh, listen, the persuasion or the influence, if you will, to consume beverage alcohol. For example, you go on a cruise like Don and I just got back off. Finally, the people came to us on, on our night when we were having our meal. He said, there's no reason you're not going to take this wine list, are you? Nope, don't want, don't want the wine list, don't want the beverage list, except if it's got a Diet Coke or a Diet Dr. Pepper on it, you can bring that one, but the other one you can keep for yourself. Why? Because it promises so much, but it gives so little. And if the truth were to be told, I'm telling you right now, they don't show you the lives, the deaths that happen as a result of the consumption of beverage alcohol. So television shows say drink it. Worldly Christians say drink it. And in some cases, religious leaders say drink it. Not long ago, I was talking to a friend of mine who was a pastor, been my friend for years. And I asked him this question. I said, what is your stance on consuming beverage alcohol as a believer? He said, I'm not the beer cop, and I don't have time to worry about those kind of things. I've got bigger things to be concerned about. When I get through with these statistics tonight, and I'm going to share them here in just a few moments, I want you to see how big a problem it really is. You do understand that the devil is a deceiver, amen? You do understand that he is a liar. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He'll use any means or any method he can do. He will do it to you and I so that our walk, our witness, our words, and our work will have no impact on those that are lost. You do get that, don't you? So having said that, you understand that the reason alcohol is used the way that it's used and it is promoted the way it is is because it is a multi-billion dollar business. Don't be deceived. And folks, I want to just go ahead and say this for the record. Last year alone, nearly $2 billion were spent on advertisement. Now watch this. Some people say that alcohol is a disease. 
Well, if it is a disease, why in the world have we spent $2 billion promoting a disease instead of taking the money and curing the disease? Amen? It's not a disease. It can become an addiction. Alcoholism began in every person because one time or another they took that first drink. You don't become an alcoholic if you never drink it. You take the first drink, you might take the second one. So as a believer, when it comes concerning beverage alcohol, don't be deceived. There is a deceptive mockery of beverage alcohol. Let me just share with you about some people through the years and what they've said and they've spoken out against it. Billy Sunday, a former professional baseball player who turned an evangelist, once called liquor the the devil in liquid form. He said that wine is a deceiver. Folks, I want you to understand something. Billy Sunday hated alcohol. He said he hated it so much, if he had a foot, he'd kick it. If he had a fist, he would fight it. If he had a, a head, he would butt it. And he would kick it and fight it till he was footless, headless, handless, and toothless, till he was in heaven and it was in hell. Billy Sunday, one of our great preachers, hated beverage alcohol. Adrian Rogers, God bless his heart, who is in heaven with the Lord Jesus. Bellevue Baptist Church in Tennessee preferred, listen to this, there was a beer commercial that was using an advertisement of their beer, and this is what it said on it, the finest product of the brewer's art. The finest product of the brewer's art. When Adrian Rogers took that, and he made another symbol, and he put it up on a sign, because that was on a sign that was close to his church. And on the sign that he put up, here's what he said, the finished product of the brewer's art. Not the finest product, but the finished product. And on this sign, here's what he showed. He showed a picture of a man in an alley with a beer bottle in his hand by a garbage can with a big rat running past. It wasn't long that the head of the sales of alcohol in that area called Adrian Rogers and said, I would like to meet with you. Adrian said, I just wondered how long it was going to take after I put up the sign. So they set up a time to meet. He came into Adrian's office, and Adrian was ready for him, folks, I'm telling you. The man said, ultimately, what will it take for you to take down your sign? Man, you're killing our bill sales. Well, I want you to quit showing these things because, man, you're hurting people. You're taking money out of their pockets. He said, the only way I'm going to take down my sign is for you to take down yours. When you take down yours, I'll take down mine. The last time I preached this message in 1990, I was preaching to 150 college students on a Wednesday night. The young man sitting right there can tell you I'm telling the truth. Listen, we had college-age young adults going to a local restaurant, which was a chain restaurant. I got a letter from that man that simply said this, Would you quit preaching against drinking sociably alcohol? I want you to know your kids no longer come here, but when they do, they only drink Coke, and I'm going broke because I can't sell my alcohol. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. The only reason people are buying alcohol, number one, it's available. The only reason it's available because much of what's being drunk is by believers. 53% of believers say they don't see any problem with drinking socially alcohol. There's a problem. Johnny Hunt said this, I will argue against drinking alcohol as a beverage, and I will stand against the liquor industry with every fiber of my being. Here's what I believe. I believe this whole issue about alcohol with the church is just a matter 
of Christian liberty. And that's what people will say. Galatians 5.13 says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Here's what it says. But through love serve one another. Many people today say, well, I'm reformed. I'm a reformed believer. Mark was telling me that 10 years ago when he went to Southwestern Seminary, he had to sign a piece of paper as going in there that he would not consume alcoholic beverages. Is that right, Mark? He had to sign a statement as a person called by God to preach the Word of God that he would not partake of alcoholic beverage while he was a student in Southwestern Seminary. So, David, what about the Reform Movement? Let me share with you about John MacArthur. If you talk to someone who's of the Reform Movement, they're going to speak of this man's name. They're going to call him out. Here's what he says about it. Some of evangelicals with the Reform community have lifted their glass as a badge of Christian liberty. John MacArthur has strongly denounced this movement. Here's what he said. If everything you know about Christian living came from blogs and websites in the Reform community, you might have the impression that beer is the principal symbol of Christian liberty. For some who self-identify as young, restless, and reformed, or the YRR, it seems beer is a more popular topic for study and discussion than the doctrine of predestination. It is clear that beer-loving passion is a prominent badge of identity for many in the young, restless, reform movement. Case, watch this, cast a disapproving eye and you're likely to be surrounded by restless reformers denouncing legalism and wanting to debate whether it's a sin to drink wine. So that's where we are today. And some people will say, well, there was wine in the Bible. And some people will say, well, Jesus turned water into wine. Let me share with you what a Yale University study found out on alcoholism. This is what Yale University, this is not a Christian, this is a liberal school. Here's what they said. It was revealed that the normal process of fermentation of fruit of the vine does not produce a drink with sufficient alcohol content to bring on drunkenness. There must be a mechanical interference with a normal process such as the addition of pure alcohol or other mechanical process of distillation, or it will not produce the kind of wine that is common today. The wine of today is not the wine of Jesus' day. In other words, we're not comparing apples to apples, or if you want to put it another way, grapes to grapes. He said, David, well, how much of the wine in Jesus' day would you have to drink to be on the level of being under the influence? 22 glasses of wine in Jesus' day would have to be consumed in order to get the alcohol content of only two martinis today. So, David, what are you really trying to say? I'm trying to say to you this. If you're going to compare wine, and you're going to use the Bible as an example to give you a reason to drink, then you better go back and get the wine of Jesus' day and drink it that way, and don't consume it the way you think you ought to today. Okay? So, number one, we see... The deceptive mockery. Number two, I want you to see the destructive misery of beverage alcohol. And man, I've got to go quick. Let me just give you some statistics. And I'm going to read these and we're just going to move on and move on through this. When we think about the destructive misery of beverage alcohol, statistics say a lot about that. For example, the median age in which children, watch this, begin drinking is just over 13 years old. 
Over 83% of adults who drink had their first drink of alcohol before age 21. Four out of ten youth who pick up alcohol before 18 years old become alcoholics. Let me just go ahead and ask you this question. If you had a dog that bit four out of ten people that came into your home, would you keep that dog in your house? You say, David, that's ridiculous. Well, why in the world would you keep alcohol in yours if four out of ten people that take a drink of it are going to turn into alcoholics? Ninety percent of high school seniors say that they've drunk alcohol sometimes in their lives. Ninety percent. Four million Americans under 18 years of age are alcoholics. Four million under the age of 18 are alcoholics. This comes from the National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse. 67% of high school seniors used alcohol within the last month. 38 say that they've had five or more drinks in a row within the last two weeks. 36% of American fourth graders, watch this, Pastor Chris. Watch this, Miss Donna. Listen to this. 36% of American fourth graders, these are 9 and 10-year-olds, say that they've been persuaded under great pressure by their peers to drink alcohol. I was 11 years old when I was pressured to take my first drink. 11 years old. And now it's 9 to 10. 25% of all alcohol consumed in America is by those under the legal age of drinking. Teen drinkers are seven times more likely to engage in premarital sex. Why? Relax morals. Two-thirds of all school assaults and date rapes among teens and college students involve alcohol. Youth who drink alcohol at any level are seven and a half times more likely to use an illicit drug and 50 times more likely to use cocaine than a young person who never drinks alcohol at all. Startling statistics. Today, there are more than 40 million problem drinkers in America. Alcohol is the number one problem among teenagers. One in three American families suspect that one or more family members ha are having a drinking problem. Is it wise to consume alcoholic beverage as a believer? You say, well, David, why does that really concern you? Well, number one, because of the blood alcohol concentration. You'll be arrested if you're driving a car. If, you've been, if you come because of a blood alcohol concentration of 0.08% or higher. I saw the other day they're trying to get it down to 0.05. Why? Because that's really when you're under the influence of alcohol. Some to, you know, you say, David, what's the big deal? Well, here's the reason is because of the effect it can have on you. To some, a great loss of judgment and coordination. Their thinking becomes dull. Changes in mood and behavior. For example, if a person who is 129 pounds or less drinks one 12-ounce beer or one 4-ounce wine or one fourth of an ounce of 80-proof liquor, they will have a blood alcohol content of 0.05% to 0.08. And yet we wonder, is it wise to be drinking? Your walking will be impaired. Your speech will be impaired. Hand movements will be changed. You'll be clumsy. You'll be blurred. You can't see right. You'll have a split or tunnel vision. The chance of having an accident is greatly increased by over 300% when you're under the influence. You say, David, what do you want me to understand? You can make a statistic say anything you want to, but here's all these statistics are saying that I've given you tonight. It's not wise for a believer to consume 
alcoholic beverages. Not only do we see the destructive misery of beverage alcohol because of the, st the statistics, but I also want you to see the sorrow. Not only the statistics that I've given you, but I want you to see the sorrow as well. If you will, turn over to Proverbs chapter 23, and I want you to look with me beginning there in verse 29. Proverbs 23, and let's look at verse 29. Notice what it says here. It says here, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Let's just take this first one right here. When it says here, who has woes? Who has sorrows? Who has contentions? Folks, I'm going to go ahead and tell you something. He says it's the person, in verse 30, who lingers long at the wine, those who go in search of mixed wine. Those who consume alcoholic beverage, those are the people that have woes. They're the people that have sorrows. They're the people that have contention. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, not long ago, well, I guess it's been longer now than I want to admit, uh, my son and my daughter-in-law and Abe's uh, son-in-law and his daughter gave he and I tickets to go to the University of Georgia kickoff classic. We were down at the uh, Georgia Dome. I remember, Abe, is that not right? And we had wonderful seats we were way up, but we could see great. As the game began, everybody in there on the Georgia side was saying, go dogs!" People that didn't know each other were being friendly. They were saying, hey, buddy, let's go dogs!" As the game went on and more alcohol was consumed, they got a little rough with each other. Four long beer was being poured on one another. Four long fights were going to start taking place. I know when Abe and I walked out of that place and we got on Marta to get home, we didn't know if we'd be better off to walk or to ride because of the confrontations and the contentions that were taking place. What started out as a friendly group of people came to watch a football game because they were under the influence consuming alcoholic beverage. They wanted to fight everybody and everything. Tell me you hadn't seen that already before in your own life. Who has woes? Who has sorrows? And I want you to notice what he says here when you keep on reading down here. He says in verse 32, At the last it bites like a serpent and it stings like, you say it, viper. He said it's going to hurt you. It's going to bring great sorrow in your life. Folks, I'm telling you, if you know me, you know I don't like snakes. I mean, I don't like them at all. And I know one way to keep from being bit by a snake is don't be around them, amen? Matter of fact, Dwayne Potts and I were visiting one night, and we walked into the house, and this house I knew was a little off because they had monkeys running around everywhere. Monkeys were hanging on the, I mean, the curtain rods, and they were swinging down on this and on that. And we were sitting in there trying to share the gospel. Have you ever been in a place where there was a bunch of monkeys running around, and you wanted to share Jesus with them? I'm telling you, that's a very, listen, it's very distracting. But we began to look around. They had all kind of animals. And I looked around over there, and I saw two aquariums. The only problem with these aquariums, they didn't have any water in them. But they had sand in them. And they had other things in them. And finally, the man in the house came around. He said, I'm sorry I'm late, but I've been trying to find the snake that was in that aquarium that's not in the aquarium anymore, and I don't know where he is. The next thing he said to me as I ran over to Wayne Potts going out the screen door is, what's your hurry? 
Folks, I didn't stay. I didn't tell him I was leaving. I made my way to the exit as quick as I can. Dwayne Potts is big. You run over Dwayne Potts and knock him through a screen door. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. I wasn't able to do that in football when I wanted to. We got in the car. I couldn't got in the car. I backed that thing up. I threw it in gear. It was a gravel driveway. I threw rocks all over the house. I threw it all over the man's car. I threw it all over the man's property. Dwayne said, what are you trying to do? I said, I don't know where the snake is, but I'm trying to kill it. Don and I had the wonderful privilege on our 40th wedding anniversary to go to South Dakota. And we were there going to some of our national parks. Beautiful, just incredible. But I'm going to be honest with you, I had a little problem. I bought a nice pair of hiking shoes to walk all those trails that we wanted to walk. But on the very first trail, we had not gone that, down that trail 50 feet and there was a sign low to the ground here's what it said be careful of rattlesnakes I'm going to go ahead and tell you them hiking boots are still as new today as they were the day I put them on <laughs> she said what did you do I said Donna I'm not going down this trail the whole time I'm going to be working, looking for rattlesnakes I'm not going to enjoy this something bad can come out of this how come we can't just go back and get in the car folks I'm going to tell you something you get a hold of beverage alcohol nothing good's going to come out of it but much bad can take place he said let me tell you there's sorrow number two not only do we see the statistics and the sorrow you say David how bad is it well watch this let me just give you this 400 people die every week as a result of related to beverage alcohol in America if a jumbo jet 747 were to crash every week and that many people were killed, I'm telling you, it would be all over the news. They would be doing safety meetings. I'm telling you, everything would be done to keep that from happening. But in America, it takes place every week. Hey, here's what I know. Nine years in Vietnam, 57,000 men and women died to protect our freedom and our democracy. In that same length of time, more people in America died due to alcohol than they did in Vietnam. And yet we say it's not a problem. We say for the believer, it's okay. Folks, I'm here to tell you there is great sorrow when it comes to consuming alcoholic beverage. Next, not only does he say that there's sorrow, he also says be careful when you consume. The misery can come as a result of that in the form of sexual sin. Sexual sin. I read you the statistic a while ago. Look what it says right here in verse 33. He says, your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. You know what he's speaking there of? He's talking about when you consume alcoholic beverages. Young men, listen to me. Young women, listen to me. There's been more women, more young women and more young men have lost their virginity because they consumed alcoholic beverage. There's been more date rape because of it. I'm telling you, stay away from it. Proverbs is saying, strange things you'll see. Your heart will be broken. Because it's like one girl told me in a meeting, and I was sitting in my office in counseling. Here's what she said. She was crying. And she said, I said, why are you crying so? She said, because I want you to know I can never be what I used to be. I said, what do you mean? She said, I had some alcohol. I went out on a date. And I lost my morals. I let them lax. And I had sex for the very first time. And I can never be what I used to be. 
alcoholic beverage? Is it wise? Not only do we see the statistics, the sorrow, the sexual sin, but how about the stupidity? It's just plumb stupid to consume it. Folks, I don't know any other way to put it. It's right here in the, in the Bible. Notice what he says here in verse 34. He said, you'll be like one who, who uh, lies down in the midst of the sea or one who lies at the top of the mast saying, they have struck me. You know what? Listen. You know what he said? He said, drinking alcoholic beverages is like, it's so stupid. It's like going in the middle of ocean without having a life preserver on. He said, it's so stupid for you to consume alcoholic beverage. It'd be like climbing to the mast on a ship and riding on that mast the whole time you was on a ship. Folks, I just got off a ship, and I'm going to go ahead and be honest with you. I get a little seasick, and folks, it was pretty rough the first day or two down there. It wasn't near as bad down there as it was up here, though. That ship would go up, and we'd go down. My wife said, you feel that? I said, boy, I feel that. She didn't know what I was feeling. I wasn't just feeling it on my feet. I was feeling it right here. Amen? So can you imagine? She said, you know, we're not going to be all the way at the front of the ship. I said, that's good because that's where you'll get sick the quickest. Amen? It's plum stupid to put yourself in a position like that. That's what he's saying here. He said, wise up. Do you some mind. Use your thinking. Stay away from it. Don't be stupid. Of course, we're all one step away from being stupid. Had one person one time tell me, well, Brother David, there ain't nothing worse. It's just as sinful to drink as it is to be fat. I said, I agree with you. I said, but I'm going to share, you, share with you the difference and the consequences. You may be 400 pounds and you may be DWF, driving while fat. I want you to understand something. I'd rather approach you while you're driving while fat than I have you DUI under the influence. Amen? Car approaching you. Head on, had you rather that person driving that car be fat and he still turn the steering wheel and know what he's doing? Or someone, bless God, that's under the influence and don't know what they're doing? There's been more people killed because of alcohol that are driving under the influence while driving on while they're fat. 11 years old. Knock came on the door of the classroom where I was attending school. They said, Davy, we need you. You need to come with us right now. I walked outside, and my mama was standing outside. My mama was crying. I said, Mama, what in the world's wrong? I knew something was bad wrong for me to get out of school. But number two, when my mama was standing there crying, I knew something was wrong. She said, David, you need to understand something. Your Uncle Billy has been killed this morning by a drunk driver. When the red light changed, he went when it said green. The man driving the car on the other side Paid no attention to it and hit him, hit, hit him right in the side, T-boned him, and killed him. The other man, which was a friend of Donna's daddy's, broke his leg and messed him up terribly. You talk about how stupid it is, how sorrowful it is. That man killed my uncle, left four kids behind. The youngest one, nine months old. Alcohol. Is it wise for a believer to consume alcoholic beverages? He said, David, what's the last thing on this? And I'm hurrying, I've got to, is slavery. We see the slavery. Notice what it says here at this passage of Scripture in 35C. When shall I wake that I may seek another drink? Addiction, slavery, domination. So we see the destructive misery of beverage alcohol. Lastly, I want you to see this, and I know my time's running out, but I want you to, if you will, just hang with me. The last point is this, the decisive mastery of beverage alcohol. I've not read verse 31, and I want to back up to verse 31, and I want to show you 
You say, David, how do you get over? How do you get past the alcohol? Alcohol has a potential to master you. It has a potential to enslave you. It has a potential to dominate you. So how do you master alcohol rather than let it master you? Glad you asked. Verse 31, here's what it says. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup. What he is saying here is total abstinence. He says, do not look. If I'm mindful right, in Genesis, when God was talking to Adam and Eve, he said, there's a tree right here that I do not want you to look at. Not only did Eve look at it, she partook of the fruit of it, and she gave it to Adam. My dear friend, when God tells you not to look at it, there's a reason. The reason is because of the seductive nature of what you're looking at. Because of the deception that it will bring. You say, David, is it really that important? Oh, yeah. People drink socially, and I want to tell you, they think it's going to produce a lot of things and give them a false hope. Let me read some of them to you. I'm about to end this thing up. People will say, you say, well, I should never abuse alcohol. I will never abuse it. But then they become alcoholics. One out of every ten that start to drink will become an alcoholic. One man put it this way. Wine is a deceiver. We drank for happiness and became unhappy. We drank for joy and became miserable. We drank for sociability and became argumentative. We drank for sophistication and became obnoxious. We drank for friendship and became enemies. We drank for sleep and became awakened without rest. We drank for strength and felt weak. We drank for relaxation and got the shakes. We drank for bravery and became afraid. We drank for confidence and became doubtful. We drank to make conversation easier and slurred our speech. We drank to feel heavenly and ended up feeling like we'd been to hell. We drank to forget and we forever haunted. We drank for freedom and became a slave. We drank to erase problems and saw them multiply. We drank to cope with life and invited death. Former President George W. Bush, and I'm going to read this because I don't want you to walk out of here misquoting our former president. At the age of 40 years old, he quit drinking after his wife, Laura, asked him a soul-searching question. Here's what she asked him. She says, George, can you remember the last day you didn't have a drink? He asked himself this question. Could I continue to grow closer to the Almighty, or was alcohol becoming my God? After answering that question for himself, Abe, he got in touch with Dr. Billy Graham. Dr. Billy Graham came to his house and led him to faith in Jesus Christ. And after that day, as far as I know and records can show, he's not consumed alcoholic beverage since. It was mastering him. Here's the question. I started out with saying we're all under the influence of someone or something. Alcoholic beverage wants to influence you, not in a godly manner, but in an ungodly manner. Let me read a couple of verses of Scripture to you, and I'm going to conclude this message. First thing I want us to look is that, firstly, I want us to go to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 14, verse 21. Let me read it to you. Here's what it says, because I know what people say to me. They'll say to me, well, everything you used tonight was the Old Testament, and I'm living in the New Testament. I've read to you what Galatians said about liberty which should be used to serve one another. Notice what Romans chapter 14, verse 21 says right here. It says, it is good neither to eat meat 
nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. I tell college students, they'd come up to me, Pastor Mark, and here's what they'd say. They'd say, well, David, is it wrong to drink? I say, well, is it wise to drink? I said, matter of fact, the question is, is not can a believer drink? The question should be, should a believer drink? That's the question that ought to be asked. Should a believer drink? And here's what I will say, and I'm going to say it to you tonight, and I'll stand on this until I'm dead. If you can take a bottle of beer and you can hold it up to God and say, God, I'm toasting you with this, and it's going to bring glory to your name. I'm bringing people to you. I'm not a stumbling block. And you can do that, and you don't get conviction. There's one or two things wrong in your heart. Number one, you've never been saved. Or you're, number two, you're so, so far away from God, you can't hear the Holy Spirit. Your heart's been hardened. You can't do it. I've asked people to do it. Eric is sitting right here. Eric's heard me preach that before. Eric will tell you tonight, he tried it. He couldn't do it. God convicted him, and he laid it down. He hadn't had a drink for years and years and years. He thought as a believer you could do it, but he realized you can't do it. You can't do it, folks, and glorify God. Galatians says you'll be a stumbling block to one another. God forbid that we'd be a stumbling block to one another. What does Ephesians 5, verse 13 say? Let me read this to you right quick. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 13. Here's what it says. Verse 15. Ephesians 5, 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. You know what he's saying there? Be careful. That's what circumspectly means. It means be careful how you walk. Why? Because others are watching you. Others are looking at you. Others are seeing how you're living. And they're basing you as the only Bible they'll ever read. And if they're, what they're reading is not from the Word of God, friend, you're misleading them the wrong way. Be careful what you do. Here's the conclusion. Abstinence is the wisest choice to the believer concerning the consumption of beverage alcohol. Three statements on this and I'm done. Number one, because of biblical truths. I've given you enough biblical truths right here. I had one person tell me, well, I don't know why you're so imperative that leaders shouldn't drink. Well, let me just challenge you to go to Proverbs 31, verse 4. It says, kings and those that rule over you should not even partake of any alcoholic beverages. Deacons are leaders. Preachers are leaders. Sunday school teachers are leaders. That's what it says there. Because of biblical truths. Number two, because of the believer's testimony. There's two things I know about your testimony. Don't you ever forget this because you do too. Here they are. Number one, if you're saved, saved people are expecting you to live like you ought to live. Saved people are expecting you to live like you ought to live. Donna, in one of her Saint school classes about five years ago, six years ago, in that classroom that day, and Donna, if I get this out of line, you can correct me and we'll get it all straightened out later, was talking that day about alcohol. One person in the room said, that's no problem. It's in our refrigerator. My parents don't have a problem with it whatsoever. And Donna asked the question, well, let me ask you this. What if you came to Longhorns and you saw Pastor David and myself sitting at the bar and we were drinking something besides a Diet Coke or a water or a tea? What would you think about that? Every one of them in there, jaw dropped. One of them said, but Miss Donna, you're a believer. Pastor David is one of our preachers. One young lady in there said, if you ever did it, I wouldn't come back because your life would be a mockery in front of me. Saved people expect you to live like you ought to live. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you another group. Lost people expect the saved to live like they ought to live. Lost people expect you and I to be different. 
We're not of the world, but God has put us in the world. Why? Not so that we can condemn the world. Not so that we can condone the world, but that we can confront the world with the claims of Jesus Christ. He said, David, you believe that's true? Dear friend of mine now, who's dead, many years would not trust Christ, for about six years. I would witness to him, I'll bet you, over 30 times, one-on-one. Finally, I asked him this question. I said, why is it that you will not give your heart to Jesus Christ? Here's what he said. The day I do, I'll quit going by the package store and getting my six-pack that I drink on the way going home. And I know if I become a believer, I'm going to have to give that up. And I looked at him and I simply said this. You mean you're not willing to give up what that promises and produces so little? Not long after that, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. He became one of our most faithful Awana workers, Chris. He became the Awana leader at Hebron Baptist Church. That man began to lead more people to Christ. He would stand up and tell you today that the greatest (laughs) detriment to his testimony was that if he ever took another drink because people were watching, and here's what they'd say, I knew it wouldn't last long. I knew nothing really changed. Man, you just got reformed. You didn't get regenerated. I'm telling you right now, the lost expect you and I to live like safe people ought to live. So there's the biblical truths. There's the believer's testimony. And then there's the bottles, troubles. I'm going to end on this last illustration, and I'm going to be through. You've endured me for a long time tonight. I preach longer than I normally preach. Before coming to Maysville, part of my responsibility when I was at Hebron for about five years was to help participate in being chaplain for the Gwinnett County Police and the Fire Department. When my two pastors were not in town, or they couldn't be where they needed to be in case a radio call came through, they would give me their radio. I've never shared this testimony. I shared it with Eric. But I'm going to share it with you. I don't know why for 30-something years I've not shared this. But this is for somebody in here tonight. I got the call. Chaplain, we need you to come to Gwinnett Medical. There's been an 18-year-old that's died in a car accident. So I get in the car. It's about 2 o'clock in the morning. And I make my way to Gwinnett Medical, and I get there. When you walk in the emergency room at that time, not now, but you got to remember this a long time ago, you would go in there, go through the emergency door, and there was a little room, about a 12-by-12 room, and that's where parents came in that had been summoned to come to the hospital. So there they were, summoned to come to the hospital. I was standing there. There was also an officer of Gwinnett County PD that was there, and uh, he was a member of our church, and he was there with me. He's the one that called me on the call. As we got in there, and that dad came into the room, dad and a mom. The dad looked at me, and I had to tell him that his daughter had died in a car accident. And then he asked the question, well, who did it? Whose fault was it? He got so mad, he threatened to whip and beat up that person who caused the wreck. I had to tell him that the problem was not with another driver. It was with her. And in that car, there was an empty bottle, 18 years old. That dad said, well, I'm going to find out who sold her that, 
And when I find out who that is, man, they're going to be in trouble. I'm going to whip them. I'm going to beat them up. And then he left. Later on, it came back to me through this officer that he found out later on, here's what happened. The man went home. And because he was so unnerved, his daughter professed to be a believer. And so did he. He went to the cabinet to get him a bottle to soothe his conscience. And when he opened up the door, Chris, there was a letter. And here's what the letter said. Dad, don't be mad. I have taken one of your bottles to celebrate my 18th birthday. I will pay you back. My friend, I want to tell you tonight, when you and I don't accept the biblical truths and live by them, when you and I do not realize that our testimony has impact and influence, when you and I don't realize the tragedies that can come from the bottle, we're being foolish. We're being not unwise. And I'm calling you as a believer in Jesus Christ to consider the scriptures, to consider your testimony, and to consider the damage that alcoholic beverage can bring. Let's pray. Heads are bowed, knives are closed. I have been preaching for 45 minutes. But I want to be honest with you, this is the 45 minutes that I believe that God wanted me to preach it. If there's ever a time that I knew that I needed to preach a message, it was this message. Since 1990, I've preached it. Here's the question I want to ask you tonight. Number one, if you were to die tonight, do you know for certain that you'd spend eternity in heaven? Do you know that? Do you know without a shadow of a doubt? You know because you know because you know that if you died tonight, you'd go to heaven. Do you know that? If you don't, then why in the world would you leave this place tonight when you can know without a shadow of a doubt? 1 John 5, 13 simply says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know that tonight. You don't have to walk out here with a hope so or a think so or a maybe so. You can walk out of here with a no so. You say, David, how can I know that? Romans 10, 9 says, If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So sitting here tonight, you've never trusted Christ, but you know you need to. You know that if you die tonight, you wouldn't wake up in heaven. You would wake up in hell. Tonight's the night you can know for certain that you have eternal life. Would you cry out to God like Romans 10, 17 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you cry out to him something like this? Dear Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner. I truly believe that you are the Son of God. I believe you died on Calvary's cross to pay for my sin. And by faith, I'm turning from my sin in myself, and I'm receiving you into my heart. Take control of my life. 